Hey everybody, welcome to Bringing Meditation to Life, a podcast in which we immerse ourselves in the intersection of meditation and everyday life, in which we look at the ways meditation illuminates and deepens our experience of daily living and the ways life itself does the same for our practice. I'm your host, Neil McKinley. So welcome, everybody. Welcome to the other voices aspect of this bringing meditation to life podcast. And this is an opportunity for us to learn a little bit more about what practice and what life looks like for other meditators that I know. And today, it's our good fortune to have Joe Runnels sitting with us. It's our good fortune to be able to sit back and listen as Joe shares a little bit of her experience with us. So uh, welcome, Joe, and uh, thanks for doing this. Thanks for being here. Thanks for the invitation to be here. I'm glad to be here. Great. So why don't we do a little introduction, get a sense of what your life looks like? Yeah. Well, I live here in Victoria, BC, the same as you do, Neil. And I grew up on Vancouver Island. It was the good fortune to be around nature, the ocean, the mountains, the forests all the time. Um, And that's a place I really think I've always felt connected in and grounded in. Um, And that kind of led me into the world of science. And so, you know, I studied earth science and environmental studies um, at university, got a master's in environmental science. I've been practicing as a professional geologist and environmental practitioner for over 20 years which puts me in my late 40s. So no one has to do the math on that. Um, yeah, and I I am a single live alone uh, person. So the last few years have been pretty interesting. Yeah, I think many yeah. of us would nod our heads at that point, whether we're single or not, live alone or not. Pretty yeah. interesting. So you mentioned the words uh, connected and grounded a few moments ago about um, your relationship with nature. And I know those are words that come up a lot when people are talking about meditation, connected and grounded. So I'm, I'm wondering if there is a link for you between those sorts of experiences of connection and grounding that you're finding in nature and what you find with your meditation practice. Yeah. And I actually in some ways feel that meditation has brought me back closer to the relationship I had with the natural world when I was young, you know, before I learned all the facts and the way the world's supposed to be and all that kind of stuff. So there's definitely a strong connection there for me. And it's a place that is a little, maybe a little more familiar when I started practicing meditation, it sort of bridged the gap between, you know, what I already knew and and learning meditation um, and I don't think I realized that right away, but like I said, at some point it sort of helped bridge that gap and brought me back closer in relationship to the natural world. Well, can so you talk about that a little bit, that relationship? Yeah. You know, I, like I said, I went into science and then you learn a conceptual model for the world, right? You're taught and this is the way it is. 
Um, and that was very disconnected sort of from feeling and sensation. And um, for me, you know, I, I imagine that some people, you know, walk into a place of worship and, you know, feel this sense of, you know, wonder or connection or, or, or something. And I feel that sometimes in the forest or at a beach, you know, and, and there, there's certain places that just kind of, I guess they open up. It's the kind of that awe feeling um, in the, both like the actual definition of awe and sort of, <laughs> yeah, now I know why we say awe. <laughs> yeah, that's where, that's where the feeling is maybe most present that I get and that spaciousness of meditation when it's going well kind of deal um, mm -hmm. is in that natural world. And you brought up the notion of, of uh, conceptual framework that uh, you learned through your training as a scientist. And one of the things that comes up for me when you mentioned that is what comes up so often in, I mean, it comes up in beginner classes that I think about that I, I teach and that I lead, but it comes up elsewhere too, in my own experience and, you know, what people who are, have been practicing for years say is that there is sometimes assumed to be an adversarial relationship between meditation and those conceptual frameworks. And what's your sense of that? How has your relationship with that concept, the conceptual frameworks that you live your professional life within and uh, the sense of awe that you are speaking of, how is that evolving? Well, you know, I think a number of years ago, especially before I started practicing, I would have gone with that traditional or that standard kind of sense of there's some kind of opposition there. And one of the things when I started practicing very early on is I started to see sort of connections. And I was, I, you know, I went to through university in the late nineties and luckily, you know, doing, especially the environmental science side of thing, but it was also like, I didn't study geology. I studied earth sciences, um, which is a different way of calling something, but it's more a systemic view of looking at things. And I think I was lucky that I caught that bit of science when we were going, you know, not biology, but ecology and, you know, systems thinking. Um, and I find, so I find that there's overlaps there with meditation and systemic thinking. Um, and, you know, the, fo the focus being more on relationship than, you know, each little part, you know, that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts is definitely there in, in science. So now I live my life, I think, with sort of at least two conceptual frameworks. And in some places they overlap. And in some places I hold two things that don't agree. And that's okay, right? So it, it and maybe that's part of meditation, being able just to see that you can hold two sort of different, not necessarily meshed up beliefs. And, <laughs> and you can do that. I was like, they don't have to be reconciled into a, into a whole. And that's where the curiosity comes from as well. It's like, well, how do these relate? And are they really different? You know, um, it's, I, I, it makes me check assumptions on both sides in both conceptual models, which is really helpful. And one of the things that, you know, listeners aren't going to be able to pick up on is as you were describing that, and as you were describing, you know, working with different conceptual models and curiosity, you were using your hands a lot and your hands were very open and spacious. It was allow, it was as if the, 
conceptual frameworks that you use in your life, and we all, of course, use many of them, um, that there's a, a kind of looseness and flexibility and openness around those as opposed to something that you would cling so very tightly to. Yeah. And I think meditation has made it that more space in there, but I think, you know, some people joke that geology is not really a real, real science. It's kind of just a lot of theories, you know, like we can't, things work on geological timescales, so we can't test them out. So I think there was a little bit more flexibility in that science or, or spaces in that science model already. Um, but uh, certainly the, t- <laughs> it's tempting to not have space. It's easier and less and more comfortable, less, scary sometimes to have less space right like to have more it's the known versus the unknown it's, as you have more space and there's more unknown and it, it's uncomfortable maybe that's the word to say it's less comfortable mm-hmm. right because you're like oh I'm not sure and when you hold more than one conceptual framework that's not necessarily agreeing they're not necessarily agreeing it's not necessarily always comfortable mm-hmm. um but it's fascinating and I think that's one of the things that drew me in into both areas of practice um, is fascination, curiosity. Yeah, you've mentioned curiosity a number of times, and uh, that strikes me as one of the things that having a little bit of room around our conceptual frameworks allows is curiosity. I can't remember what the phrase was you used a few moments ago, but the ability and the willingness to check things out, to actually look at some of the assumptions that are guiding our lives. Yeah. And just the idea that they're just, they're just a model, like they're not actually reality itself. And and maybe that geology helped me with that actually a little bit, because that's a lot of how a lot of the theories and practices work. We build conceptual models of what we expect to find under the earth or whatever. And then we sort of check them out. You know, we have a few data points and we fill in the rest and then we have to um, ground truth them. Right. So. That strikes me as a very uh, helpful and appropriate and and timely approach. I mean, one of the things that I think I would characterize the times we're living in, one of the ways I would characterize the times we're living in, is it seems like there's a lot of fixation around conceptual frameworks. You know, this is this and that is that, and I am this and you are that, and I'm on this side of the political spectrum and you're on that side of the political spectrum. And it sometimes feels like we've frozen around those frameworks and I mean, to our detriment, I think. Yeah. I think that freezing is painful. Like I experienced that, that freezing and different things. Like it, it hurts, you know, emotionally and physically it hurts. So yeah, let's loosen that up a little bit. Let's loosen that up a little bit. And, you know, we've been, we, we dove right in here and we've been talking about loosening up and um, allowing space and openness and all these words, but how do you, how does meditation help with that? How is meditation a tool in your loosening or your opening or your spaciousness? How is meditation allowing you that little bit of room around your conceptual frameworks so that you can a see that they're frameworks and b check them out against what's actually going on in your life 
I think that's where sort of the connection and grounding piece maybe come in, in that you sit down to practice and you slow down first. For me, that's a big thing. Um, slowing down creates some space because I'm just full steam ahead all the time and I, you know, don't stop to check things out. I assume my assumptions are right and I charge ahead. So slowing down, you know, on practice. And the fact that practice is brought into my life that it's not a waste of time to slow down. Uh, that's a very obvious thing that's come out of meditation. Um, and it's very, I think that's sort of counter our predominant culture these days. And the other thing is to sort of settle in and get a sense of things. So it's a way to, you know, get out of the conceptual mind and have a different a different way to, ev- I don't like to use the word evaluate, but that's sort of what we're doing is sort of, you know, settle down and get a sense like, does that actually seem right? And like meditation into my life has definitely brought an increased desire to check in. Like we call it gut instinct or whatever, right? But it's like, what is the body's wisdom? What, you know, there's lots of different ways to describe that and to check in. What are your senses telling you? you know, what are you seeing? Um, And that's a way to check in with your conceptual model instead of just letting your brain run full speed ahead, assuming that its simplified version of the world is 100% accurate. So through meditation, you, you slow down and you settle in. And that twofold process allows you to I guess, begin to see the conceptual frameworks that you're operating within as conceptual frameworks and begin to check them out against. And I love, you talked about get your sense of things, which is a very embodied, you know, kind of sensual um, sense perception oriented way of saying, putting it, you know, get your sense of things. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the real thing. It's sort of, this is where my conceptual frameworks run into each other, right? But it's actually getting in touch with reality, right? That's a, I have to slow down to do that. I have to settle in. And then to have practices to teach you how to do that, mm. you know, um, and to fall back on when you're having a hard time doing that are really good. And then somehow the, the sense of connection comes in there as well, because a conceptual framework, I don't think any, any two people's conceptual frameworks are identical. So when you connect in with whether it's other people or the natural world, like whatever it is that you're connecting with space, you're getting beyond your limited little conceptual framework. And that's another way to check it out. Does it match up with what I'm picking up from other people, the world around me, space? Because conceptual frameworks are, are incredibly individualistic. I mean, we might agree that our conceptual framework of this is going to be that but that's by agreement and they might not be identical. You know, when you're describing this, I think, I I mean, it strikes me that the words are different and perhaps the specific, the specificity of the process is different. But when I hear you talking about slowing down and settling in and checking out, seeing our conceptual frameworks and seeing what's actually going on, 
you're talking about this as being something that comes out of your meditation practice. It also sounds like good science to me. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. There are things, right? If you, you, You've got to have time to contemplate in order to get new ideas or think differently. And so maybe that's where the slowing down comes into the standard practice of science. But yeah, questioning, um, checking out, and then checking out with other people or checking out with the natural system. Yeah, that's, that's part of what science is, right? And do you find those two trainings helping each other out? Your training as a scientist and your training as a meditator from time to time? At time to time, they help each other out. And at the times that they don't help each other out, that they come into conflict, they were, you know, I run into like a very fixed idea of the way the world is, let's say in my science background and meditation, I have an experience that like runs headlong into that and doesn't agree. It's actually really good feedback to check out both, right? Because now you're like, two things don't agree. Okay, what is it? Is it one? Is it the other? Is it an and? Is it I don't know, which is usually where I end up. And then it's like, okay, like it it loosens both, right? Because mm-hmm. um, it's like, I had a really set idea. This is the way it is. I had an experience that didn't line up. Okay. Loosens up both. And it, yeah, it's easier to say in the, how the meditation runs into science, but I actually think it works the other way. I just don't realize it as much. And and is that a skill that you feel like you've worked out, you've developed, whether through your science training, whether it's through your meditation training, or whether it's just part of your character is the ability, you said that most times when that, you have that kind of run in, um, you end up with, I don't know, your inquiry ends up with, I don't know. And it sounds like that's, that's not easy to just hang out with, I don't know. So it sounds like there's a skill that's developed there. Yeah, I hate it. Just to be clear, I hate it. Uh, I hate, I don't know. And that's definitely something with meditation. Because before, like, so meditation's helped me develop that skill. And I think it's developing that skill. I don't think I've arrived in any way, shape, or form. But just to be, you know, present with something you don't like or is uncomfortable feeling, um, that shakiness of I don't know you know, you practice and you're like, okay, it's not going to kill me not to know. And I think that gets back to sort of like, there's so much less suffering in the shakiness of, I don't know, than to try to fix it, to reconcile, to throw one out or the other, or to try to jam two things together that don't mesh up. Like, and I mean, that's, I do that. I sound all all accomplished when I'm like, oh yeah, I just sit with, I don't know. But no, a lot of times when they run into each other, I just freak out and I try to fix it. And meditations help me be like, okay, that's what I do. Ha ha. Isn't that interesting? And sort of be like, okay, there's other ways of doing things. You can just be with not knowing. I mean, that's a fascinating commentary on a lot of levels, not the least of which is Um, I think there's understandable reasons for this, but I often feel like the way meditation is presented in this time and place can be very transactional. If I put in the time and I follow the technique, I'm going to get this. And, you know, whatever this might be, I'm going to get relaxation, I'm going to get peace, I'm going to get bliss. And I don't know is a much more open-ended, much more mysterious, much less transactional practice than I think I came into. 
you know, with my conceptual framework about what meditation was, I came in very transactional thinking I was going to get this, that, and the next thing. And to find that the practice is bringing me to, I don't know so much has been a curious challenge. Yeah. That's not what I signed up for, you know? Um, and can we go back to the original, like what I came for? Cause that's what I'd really like to get out of meditation still like years of experience. That's still what I'd like to get out of meditation. And what know? was that? I'd like, it, I'd like it to be transactional. I'd like to be able to relax, ease up, you know, have some peace, bliss out, whatever it is. I want it to fix things. Mm-hmm. I want it to make life easy. That's not the way it goes. And yet it has made things easier in some ways, right? Like I haven't stopped practicing, so I'm obviously getting something out of it. And, and a few moments ago, you did speak to, by resting in I don't know, there's less suffering than yeah. full speed ahead. So we're at one of those and situations where it's difficult and reduces suffering. Yes, which I often have to remind myself of. <laughs> this is so uncomfortable for me, like intellectually uncomfortable and squirm in my seat uncomfortable, right? Mm-hmm. Just anywhere else but there. And that's one of the ways that science is supposed to solve problems. Like supposed to supposed to answer, I don't know what this is the way it is, but it's actually a process of exploration. Science isn't the answer, it's the process. And meditation is the same. And I still want to sign up for both to be the endpoint, not the process. Interesting that you find yourself in both your uh, professional life and your spiritual life in fields that bring you to, I don't know so much then. Yeah, it's easier in my professional life somehow because it's maybe it's a bounded I don't know, or there's ways of dealing with the I don't know. You know, it's like, you know, I call it risk management somehow. And okay, well, if that happens, like I've got sort of a plan, but this is most probable. So I find it easier professionally than on the cushion. And I, it's taken me a long time to realize that there's an overlap between them. And speaking of overlaps, um, you know, we've been talking about your professional life and we've been talking about your uh, practice life, your life as a meditator, other areas of your life. Do you find, how does meditation show up in other areas of your life? It's really interesting because especially when the pandemic started, I found it really hard to sit on the cushion by myself, to, to do a formal scheduled meditation by myself. So my practice these days, my formal practice is a couple times a week with groups, whether it's Zoom or whether it's in person. Um, I do a little 15 minute play a meditation recording with my coworkers on Wednesday morning. And, you know, so that's it. Like it's not very much um, compared to what it used to be. And then informal practice, I do a lot more. So at lunchtimes, when I worked in an office, I used to often, you know, go into a closed room and lie down and practice. Well, I started napping at lunch after the pandemic started. And now I actually take part of my lunch break, probably 15 or 20 minutes and lie down. And it can be a nap or it can be a practice, but really it's just a slowing down, you know, and I say just, because that's how we kind of judge it. But 
it's actually a really important part of my day and, and breaks it up and slows it down and, you know, settles down the stress. And I don't know, since I started practicing, you know, it's, you kind of want to say I'm a different person than I used to be. And that's not true. I just interact with the world differently than I used to, whether it's relationships with people, how I see myself, like, you know, I ha- I've added an entire conceptual framework basically to explore and to fall back into when times are tough. So I think it, it interacts with my life in all kinds of ways. And I've realized recently it's, it's harder to say like formal practice and informal practice because informal practice, it's actually like trying to integrate it more and more into my life. So it's that, okay, I've got a really difficult conversation coming up. I need to like take a few deep breaths before I do that. Or something's really just shook me up. I need to just go be quiet for a few moments and give myself some space to slow down, right? Like all those words that we use in our day-to-day cultural, you know, Western cultural life, but they are related to meditation, I think. Yeah, isn't it fascinating to actually realize that, that we we have words that are pointing to, you know, kind of maybe this central dynamics or the central intention of meditation practice riddled throughout our everyday lexicon? Yeah, I think it's fascinating. Again, it's fascinating. And it makes it so much more approachable to me in terms of it's not something separate or special or weird or counterculture, you know, or whatever. It's it's common wisdom that's out there. We just don't realize it and we're maybe don't have the techniques or the experience to actually, you know, fully settle when we take that 15 minutes to slow down or that few minutes to catch our breath. But it's there. Which, you know, brings us towards the end of our conversation here and the the time in this exchange where I ask for tips for listeners. You know, what kind of tips would you have for people who are listening, who want to do exactly what you've just described, you know, bring meditation and everyday life, allow them a more intimate, a more proximate relationship? Um, How might people do that? You know, some of the things that have been really helpful for me is, is, I don't know, like I said, even with the pandemic started, I don't think I could have done this without a group. So whether it's like-minded people or a meditation buddy or a group in person, online, whatever, I need that um, support. It keeps, keeps me honest. It keeps my practice going. I don't skip out as much as it's really easy not to meditate. And I get a sense of connection and, and that I'm not alone on this because it can be very alone feeling when you're just sitting and um, with your body and your mind and the other thing, and, and Neil, I've practiced with you for most of my practice life, and I think this has been really important, is, is going back to basics. So, you know, when I started, the basics were all brand new, and it was, you know, this big deal, big thing, and it's learning how to do it. And then, you know, you learn more, and you get better. And then if you come back to, every time I've come back to basics, I think it's helped me integrate it into my life a little bit better. You know, it's been a recent kind of realization that that's happening because I can now the basics are really familiar that means I can bring them into my life or even recognize how they're in my life already 
And it's like, oh, okay. And then, you know, sort of put the building blocks back together. And then this is not a like, I start, I learn, I get better and better and better and I get to the final destination, right? <laughs> not how this goes. No. Uh, so by giving yourself permission that I'm going to go back to the basics, it's really easy when you totally get knocked off, you know, your practice, your your calmness, your center, whatever the word is. When you just, when you're just freaking out and you can't settle and you're like, okay, I'm just going to lie here and see if I can slow down my brain for a second. Okay. Oh, I'm back to basics. I'm still practicing. I haven't failed. Um, so that's been a huge thing for me if just that recognition that it's a process that's not at all linear and to be patient and gentle actually helps things move forward instead of my, my MO is to push on everything, right? I got to fix it. I got to do it. I got to solve it. Like, so being, that's again, solve it. Like sitting in that, I don't know. Ooh, okay. Sitting here is actually more helpful than trying to solve it. Mind blown. Wow. Thank you very much. That's really, really helpful and resonant and um, affirming and and uh, empowering to hear you say that. Be patient. Be patient. Yeah, not patient. my strong suit. No, <laughs> I think you have good company in that regard. Yeah, yeah. Well, Joe, thank you very much for being here uh, today. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. If you want to learn a little bit more about my work helping us bring meditation to life, please visit my website at neilmckinley.com. And if you're so inclined, consider signing up for my newsletter, which is a regular source of teachings and updates and special offers and reminders that meditation just may have something to offer our lives as they are. In the meantime, take care and be well, everybody, and let's keep doing this work together. Let's keep bringing meditation to life.